Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, hello, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of the Collective, where each Saturday young hosts come together to discuss and critique topics in sports, music, TV, and film, based on our several blogs, which will be made reference to throughout the show. Um, our show blog, thecollectiveradio.blogspot.com, can be visited to find uh, segments, songs from our What We Hear segment, and other cool stuff from what we do on our show. Uh, my name is Martin Soares. I am your humble host for this afternoon. Back for another Saturday with my spirited colleagues, Tommy Hill, Lawrence Reels, Jason Reels. What's up, gentlemen? How you doing, boy? We've got a full show today. Um, pretty condensed, actually, in terms of topics, but um, we'll, we'll we'll have plenty to get to, plenty to discuss. We'll start out by talking about the uh, the Brooklyn Nets and their new roster, which was just announced the other day officially. Uh, we talked about it a few weeks ago when the trade was agreed to in principle during the free agent period. But um, in light of more discussion and critique throughout the week about the new look Brooklyn Nets, we'll go back and discuss um, the implications of their new roster. Um, a little bit later, we'll go into our main event, uh, the big debate between Jesus and Magna Carta Holy Grail, which should get very, very interesting. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, before we get started, of course, let's shout out our platform, Blog Talk Radio. 
and of course our wonderful family at our network, the Keys 107, opening the doors to endless possibilities. Um, also, before we start, I want to give an official um, and big shout out to my friend and sister, Kathy Pondexter, who was announced to her, selected to her fifth straight All Star team selection, uh, WNBA All Star team selection this week. Um, so I'm like, shout out to Cappy, much deserving for her. Um, I, I, I wouldn't expect anything less of someone who I consider to be the best guard in women's basketball today. Uh, her team, the New York Liberty, is obviously struggling right now in light of um, a major injury to Essence Carson, but we look for Bill Lambier and company to make some adjustments as the season goes on. Uh, the All-Star game will be later this month, so again, a big Shout-out and congratulations to Kathy Pondexter. Um, going right into our topics for today, gentlemen, um, first off, the Brooklyn Nets. Um, mm. uh, the gentleman, Henry Abbott from ESPN and True Hoop, um, or sorry, that's, that's the next topic, but uh, from ESPN, um, uh, there was an article. In fact, I can't, uh, I don't know exactly who um, decided to put this up, but um, a variety of opinions, different NBA team executives were asked to, um, uh, executives and writers, rather, were asked to contribute to the topic, different topics regarding the Brooklyn Nets and their roster. Um, I want to focus on the first topic, which is kind of the more pressing one and one that I actually adhered to when we first discussed the trade that brought Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Jason Terry to the Brooklyn Nets. Um, five different writers were asked to weigh in briefly on their uh, their opinions on whether the question was fact or fiction. And the first question, the first statement, rather, was that the Brooklyn Nets have the best starting five in basketball. And I'm going to start off the discussion um, mainly because I may have the most premature opinion on this matter. Again, I adhered to this topic a few weeks ago. And I'm going against all five opinions from this article, which all five said that the statement is fiction. And I'm going on the complete offensive here. And, it's, again, I said it when, when it first went down. I believe the Brooklyn Nets do have the best starting five in basketball. Now, what bothers me about what each of these gentlemen, um, again, all respected writers for ESPN, Boston, Brooklyn, um, and other ESPN outlets. Um, I disagreed with the, I mean, I know, again, it's premature, and obviously these guys have not have yet to hit the floor together yet, um, let alone play a game together. Um, but, again, I'm, I'm sticking with my premature opinion. Um, and, and what I disagree with most is what at least three out of the five gentlemen here seem to seem to be saying but not saying, and that's that. On paper, yes, this team is probably the best starting five on paper in terms of talent, which to me is basically the question. I mean, you can't ask the question, do they have the best starting five legitimately because they haven't played together, but this is all based on speculation, right? So to me, the way I stack up this question, guys, and this statement is based on individual position. And in my opinion, from point guard down to center, they have – a, they have a, a, a better piece of talent at each position collectively than any other NBA roster going into next season. I, I do believe that. Um, I think offensively is really 
the main part that I'm looking at, and I think offensively is where I think my point um, probably has the most weight. Um, uh, defensively, you know, uh, I think you have five willing defenders, most notably with Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. Um, but in terms of capable defending, I think that's yet to be seen. I think a more defensive mindset comes with someone like Kevin Garnett and someone like Paul Pierce. Um, but guys like Joe Johnson and Darren Williams and even Brooke Lopez will be challenged by those guys defensively. So on the defensive side, I'm a little more curious about, you know, their defensive schemes, how how committed and how disciplined they will be on the defensive end. Um, but I don't know, Tommy, uh, weigh in. I mean, I I know I'm jumping the gun. I know I'm premature, but I I mean I'm I'm sticking with it, and I think for good reason. I and maybe it's maybe it's poor wording. Maybe it's more about me thinking they have the most talented starting five, top to bottom, in the NBA. Um, but again, um, and I'll go into some stats that I even read yesterday from an article um, from uh, uh, from Sunny from Sunny Sinai from ESPN. Just some stats, some pick and roll statistics, which I thought were pretty glaring in terms of Brooklyn, Darren Williams, and Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, and how I think that will blend into um, how successful they are next season. But uh, Tommy, go ahead and weigh in. What do you think about? Uh, the Brooklyn Nets, the contention that they may have the best starting five in basketball next year. I would have to agree with you. They um they would have the best starting five in reality or virtual reality, uh, 2K14 being the uh, next upcoming video game. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it all comes down to how how quickly they mesh and how, how quickly they, they find some sort of rhythm together because, like you said, top to bottom they have – they have a better piece collectively at each position. But that being said, you know, it, 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 it's still going to be their, their first year together with a fresh head coach. And, you know, it, it's all about, it's all about the rhythm and the, you know, the continuity that they, that they bring uh, from day one. So it's going to be a work in progress. I feel, um, you know, uh, but to say that they 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 have the the best starting five on paper, I I would feel would be very accurate. But you know, last season we 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 all thought that the Lakers had the best the best starting five on paper coming into the season. We saw how that panned out. So you know, you can you know it, it's all it's I don't know how much credibility you can give to saying that a team has the best the best uh, starting five on paper because it's all about you know, what's done on the floor. So, um, you know, it, 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 I think it's something that we have, we're going to all have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, and, again, um, for me, you know, saying they have – and I know you know this, Tommy, but just to clarify, you know, but saying that they have the best starting five is definitely not saying they're going to be NBA champion. Definitely, It's not even saying they have the best team – Really necessarily, uh, and again, I think the wording may be a little compromised because I think what I'm what I'm saying is more about a talent aspect than being the best. I mean, they can't be the best if they haven't played yet. We, you know, obviously we know that it's a very premature discussion. Um, and with with the, I'm glad you brought up the Lakers, Tom, because I, you know I broke the post. I was the one who who wrote it up. I don't think I even saw anyone else make the argument that the Lakers had the best starting five 
when they got Dwight Howard. I was under the impression that with a healthy Steve Nash, healthy being the key word, and a healthy Dwight Howard, who was obviously unhealthy all of last season, we would have the Lakers would have had the best starting five. I, I, I honestly felt that kind of for the same reasons I'm saying that this Brooklyn team would, because I felt like with a healthy Steve Nash at point guard and a healthy Dwight Howard at center and those pieces in between with Kobe, Powell, and even Meta, um, I thought, you know, the Lakers had pieces at each spot that were, you know, um, uh, matchup-wise probably they had the advantage at least at one position against any roster. Again, the health issue was big, and I think the big issue for Brooklyn and the issues and criticisms I've been reading is on the one end with Pierce and Garnett, the age, and on the other end with guys like Darren Williams and Joe Johnson, the consistency. And when the trade was first agreed to, a big reason why I felt this way about about their starting five is because I felt like the fact that you're merging those two together, um, you're putting together two parties that need what the other party is bringing the inconsistency or, you know, whatever you want to say about Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, you throw in the experience of Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, that's a huge pressure reliever. And then even on the other end, guys like Pierce and Garnett who can't do the things offensively or defensively like they could when they, you know, even just three or four years ago, you've got younger guys like Darren Williams and Joe Johnson and Brooke Lopez to um, supplement that and to relieve the pressure off of them. So I, I just like the pairing in that sense. Um, Jay, go ahead and weigh in for us. What do you think about Brooklyn starting five? Um, <laughs> I love Brooklyn starting five. Um, I, I I think on paper they look like the best starting five, starting five in the NBA because there's no holes in that lineup. Um, first of all, the thing that strikes me with them is how much size they're going to have. They're going to go 6-3 at point guard with Williams, probably Johnson at the 2-6-7, Pierce at the 3-6-7, Garnett 6-11 at the 4, and then Brooke Lopez in the back. I mean, Kevin Garnett has realistically been playing center for the past couple of years and actually holding it down very well for his age um, in, in Boston. So <laughs> this is one thing that you can't overlook. When Garnett... And, and Ray Allen went to Boston, they won a championship their first year in Boston. With guys like that, it doesn't take long for them or someone else to to learn how to play with them. They know how to play. So you're going to play that way because you know that they know how to play. So that respect level and that, and that veteran leadership is going to be – it's going to take them very, very far, I think, this year. I honestly do. Um, barring any major injuries, starting five, you can put you can put the best rosters in the NBA up right now, including the Heat, and you can go through starting five, and you won't find a more complete starting five than than the Brooklyn Nets. That that I'm not talking about performance. I'm simply talking about if you look at these lineups from what these folks have done, talent wise, they don't have a hole in their lineup at all. Each team has some weaker link. They don't. They they are the, as steady as it gets. So <laughs> Brooklyn's the scariest team in the NBA right now. We haven't played a game yet. Brooklyn is the scariest team in the NBA. If they if if 
Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett brings that type of culture that they had in in, in Boston to Brooklyn. They're going to sell out every home game. And they're going to be a very, very tough place to play. You don't put goons in Brooklyn. You don't put goons like Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett in Brooklyn. There's already enough goons in Brooklyn. You bring the two biggest goons in the NBA to Brooklyn. Yo, I cannot wait to see a Miami Heat-Brooklyn net game. Yo, it's going to be it's gonna be the most physical basketball we've seen in a long time if they meet up in an Eastern Conference final. KG and Pierce trying to get another ring before they go out. And they know that's why they went there. They they said, look, this is our last chance at it. And I'm telling you, it doesn't get more scarier than Brooklyn for Miami. I'm talking to Miami. It doesn't get more scarier than Brooklyn. I'm telling yo, yo, Tommy. 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 Yo, and I've I've always said this and Martin will tell you this, yo. It takes people that don't care about Miami to really beat Miami and don't care. What I mean by don't care is hate them to not like them at all, to not like them. There's only two people in the NBA that don't (laughs) like Miami more than anyone else in this entire world. And that's Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. That those are the two goons that hate Miami. Yo, I guarantee if you go up to Kevin Garnett and be like, "Yo, is LeBron the best player in the league?" He's like, "Yo, I'm, yo, yo, son, he's whack, son." Yo, I, he's like, I'm, and that's the mild version. That's the mild version. I almost slipped up and really talked like KD. I ain't gonna do that. Honey, yo, son. Cereals. Yeah, but you know who says that? He said he doesn't care about anybody, and those are the type of people that will beat Miami. I'm telling you, at the end of the day, those two guys, they went to Brooklyn to beat Miami. They're sick of this LeBron stuff. And son, and they got, and then they got three young, very, very good players around them, above average players, way above average players. Brooke Lopez, one of the best centers in the league. Deron Williams, without a shadow of a doubt, one of the – I would put him in my top five. And Joe Johnson – We've seen Joe Johnson play in a system where he didn't have to be the man in Phoenix. And that's when he really, really came. That's when we learned about who Joe Johnson was. His job was to solely score and 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 whatever matchup you try to you try to place on Brooklyn, Joe Johnson can beat you because you're gonna have somebody on him that can't guard him most of the time. It's gonna be trouble for people, man. I like I, I, I like Brooklyn. I love Brooklyn. I love it. Yeah, so it's like it, it's it's like most conventional to, you know, make, you know, Miami's obviously the champion, so it's like you want to hold them to that standard. And, even, you know, even with this discussion we're talking about, it definitely places the standard. I mean, everybody can attest to it, but, it, you know, the, the pressure is certainly there. We've even talked about that before. Um, so, Lawrence, what do you, what do you, what's your take on the Brooklyn starting five? All right, so – I think the Brooklyn starting five is obviously very good. Talent-wise, talent, talent wise, like we said, they're they're phenomenal. I mean, top to bottom, these are all guys that at one point or another had their own team and were, were their team's go-to guy. But I think that I, – I, I think there's two things that you have to look at when you're talking about Brooklyn, and both of the things are a strength for them but a weakness for them at the same time. The first thing I said, the the – all five of the guys in the starting lineup have had their own team in the past. Therefore, all five of them are almost natural leaders. I mean, not necessarily like either Darren Williams. Darren Williams didn't take the Jazz necessarily far, so it's not like he, 
you know, he's a solidified leader. Same thing with Joe Johnson. Like the Hawks never made any real, real runs. But at the same time, he was those two guys were their guys. And I think that when you mesh all of those like leadership guys that are used to getting a certain amount of shots, it doesn't necessarily work out right away. And 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 that's been proven. You know, there's there's been teams that. On paper, I think that's the biggest thing we need to focus on because, I mean, obviously we can only go off of on paper because we haven't seen them play, like Mark said. But on paper, they're they're very good. They're very, very talented players. But at the same time, those five guys have to be able to play as a cohesive unit. And, I mean, history says that that's not going to be an easy thing for them, that they're not just going to be able to get that, you know, right away. It may take a rough first year, but I think that that brings me to my next point. None of these, I, I mean, we can say, obviously, Darren Williams, Brooke Lopez, even Joe Johnson, they still have a good amount of time in the league left. But Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce are not young whatsoever, are not young. And and I like I said, it's a good thing because they have that experience. They have guys that have been around before. Like Jay said, they have guys that – know how to win, and aren't going to care about Miami. Because, I mean, when we're talking about the East, we are realistically talking about who's going to stack up against Miami. Like, we're not going to try to kid anybody here. They're they're the NBA champions. That's who we stack them up against. So the the experience definitely plays well for them. But at the same time, these are – I mean, I don't know if Kevin uh, if Kevin Garnett has another season where he can play 35 minutes a game even. Like, I – he shouldn't have to. He shouldn't have to play 35 minutes a game. I mean, he obviously played that last year in Boston because of a bunch of injuries and the just lack of personnel. But at the same time, I don't know if we're going to get the same Kevin Garnett. That we, I mean, he's only getting older. Yes, he's still working. I, I, I believe that Kevin Garnett is one of the hardest workers in the NBA. When he says that he's in the gym every single day, I absolutely believe him. Like, I'm scared not to believe him. But at the same time, I, I mean, he he is older. He isn't as effective as he once was. Same thing with Paul Pierce. Not as effective. Not to say, I mean, obviously the load is taken off of them a little bit with having, not a little bit, a lot of it with having guys like Deron Williams, Joe Johnson, you know, even Jason Terry coming off the bench, adding some scoring, Brooke Lopez scoring inside. I mean, they, they have some threats and they have some guys that are going to be able to take the load off of KG and Paul Pierce. But I just... I just am not completely sold on the idea that they're going to, you know, just come together in Brooklyn, have these five big basketball personalities just automatically be able to click and play as a cohesive unit. So that that's where my skepticism comes in. On paper, sure, they're, they're one of the more talented teams in the NBA. I still do think that there's some teams that can stack up against them pretty well if we look at starting fives. I mean, I – like I said, I, I understand that they're very good, but at the same time, the, the the age factor gives some teams a little bit of a nod against them. I'm thinking, I mean, just to give one example, I'm thinking a healthy Oklahoma City, I'll probably take three out of five for Oklahoma City if we're going to go top to bottom and start lineup. And I don't, I don't know if everyone will agree with me. I mean, obviously one of them I'm, I'm saying I would probably take Serge Ibaka over Kevin Garnett, and that's not even for the future. We know Serge Ibaka has a lot more time left than Kevin Garnett, but I'm saying right now in terms of effectiveness and what they can provide on both ends of the floor, I would take an OKC starting lineup over them realistically if we're going to go position by position. And, and I mean, that that's not the only team that it's going to be like that. I I want to see Brooklyn be able to get it all together and, 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 you know, 
be able to play as a cohesive unit, be able to let those personalities like subside. Like there's going to have to be some submission. Like everyone can't come in and continue to play the way they have. That, that was partially their issue last year, why they didn't have as good of a season. They had a good year, but at the same time, we still saw that clashing a little bit of Joe Johnson and Deron Williams. Like, whose who's hands should, who's hand should the ball be in at the end of the game? You know, who should be the guy that's really making plays? the guy that the ball should really go to when when need be? And, and adding another a perimeter guy like Paul Pierce, who's another guy that, you know, is a guy that you automatically think, like, all right, he should have the ball down the stretch. I think it could create some confusion. I mean, I certainly don't think this is as bad as, let's say, when, you know, Gary Payton and Carl Malone went to the Lakers. But at the same time, that is a reference that we have to take into account. I mean, the supposed super teams have been built on paper before and, and not actually panned out to be super teams. So I, I have a bit of skepticism. I, I I don't feel like you can call them the best starting five in the league without without seeing them play. Uh, yeah, I think that's definitely fair. I think two things. Uh, you said submission, Lawrence, but in, in Kevin Garnett's press conference, which I think was, was completely indicative of what, and it goes back to even when Jay mentioned with that first year in Boston, he, he said the word sacrifice about ten times. And he mentioned the fact that that first year in Boston, when he came together with Pierce and Ray Allen, the first thing they established without even having to say it is that not one of them are going to be taking 20 to 25 shots a game anymore. And that was something they had to accept and submit to and, and just, you know, and it was, it was just a, a fact. If they were going to go for a championship, it wasn't going to be one of them. It was going to be all of them. I, I want to point out, um, and, and Lawrence, the, the biggest problem, I mean, that first round matchup, that playoff series against Chicago, uh, Jason and I picked Brooklyn to win that series in seven because we felt like they had more offense than Chicago did at that point. And it turned out to be their downfall, what you said, a lack of structure. You know, you blame it on Carlissimo. You can blame it on personnel. I mean, it just it was just unstructured. It was it was Darren Williams going one-on-one, and then when that didn't work, they just went to Joe Johnson to see if they got something from him. Um, and Carlissimo wasn't big on Brooke Lopez. Apparently they weren't trying to use him the right way, whatever. But it was just – it boiled down to a lack of structure. And that's that's the main thing they have to improve upon with this new roster and with Jason Kidd, their head coach. Guys, last year the Brooklyn Nets were the least efficient team in pick-and-roll basketball. The least efficient team. And that's with, like Jay said, I mean, arguably – I mean, it's – I don't think it's much of an argument, but I think most guys which have Darren Williams in their top five in terms of point guards, Darren Williams, Darren Williams averaged less than .8 points per possession in pick and rolls last year. That's atrocious for people who are listening and don't know. Uh, you, you want to average at least close to a point per possession when it comes to pick and roll basketball. Out of the last five, in the last five seasons, guys, nine out of the ten teams to make the finals have ran pick and rolls in at least 20% of their total plays. Brooklyn ran it less than 15% of the time last season. But I think it was because of a personnel issue. Their bigs were atrocious in pick and roll basketball. I mean, you look at guys like Reggie Evans, Chris Humphreys, Andre Blotch. These aren't pick and roll or pick and pop offense guys. These are guys that you just look to, you know, play some defense, bang, and, and, and do some rebounding. Like I said before, I feel like my biggest, you know, Lawrence, my biggest skepticism is on the defensive end. 
I feel like defensively is where they really need to show a high level of capability. They're going to get energy and, and leadership from Garnett and Pierce on the defensive end. Nobody's going to be able to slack because of those guys. Um, offensively, I'm looking at them to make a huge turnaround, particularly in the pick-and-roll game. Um, Brooke Lopez made 82% of his field goals as the roll man in the pick-and-roll last season. 60 of those made field goals were in the paint. Garnett, almost 40% of his total mates last season were from 15 feet and outside the paint last season. So at this point, even, I mean, with Garnett's old age, and, and again, I think it's just the perfect transition because you don't have to have him banging in the paint with guys that's just going to wear him out physically like he had to do in Boston last year. And like you said, it was a lack of personnel. I mean, when you've got Chris Wilcox and guys like that, I mean, Garnett was, was your sole big man. With that pressure relieved off of him, I just feel like Garnett gets to do gets, gets to keep it real simple. He can play on the high side of the high-low and, and, you know, take his jump shots out of the pick and pop. I, I, I doubt we'll even see him play during the regular season, I doubt we see Kevin Garnett play any more than maybe even 20 to 25 minutes because it's not like they don't have the depth in the front court now. I mean, they still they hung on to Andre Blash, who they can throw in there. They, I, I said when, when we talked about it a few weeks ago, the fact that they drafted Mason Plumley, I think, is huge because he's a horse that's, that you can throw in, throw into the game. He's going to run the floor. He's going to play hard. So you've got guys that you can put in there for him. I, I just think, the Reggie, for me, the biggest – uh, you've got Reggie Evans still, who they held on to. Another guy that's been a for you, goon. I just goon, think, I just think that, and, and another. I mean, Reggie Evans and Andre Blatch, I think, are both you know certified goon status. So you've got you've got a couple goons waiting for them already. But I just see the pressure release as the big thing for me. I just think that, and 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 one more stat I'll throw at you guys. Even Paul Pierce's pick and roll numbers were better than than Darren Williams last year. As the ball handler in the pick and roll, Paul Pierce had a 49% field goal percentage, and that, that counts for his field goals and on passes that he made out of the pick and roll. His offensive efficiency was 49% out of the pick and roll. Darren Williams was 45%, and he turned it over at a lower rate. Paul Pierce was at an 18% turnover percentage. Darren Williams was at a 23% turnover percentage. So, again, it's the pressure release, and and. Paul Pierce assisted on 24% of his teammates' field goals last season, which was second only to, you guessed it, LeBron James at the forward position. So I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking in the pick-and-roll situation, you're, you're able to run more pick-and-rolls. Like I said before, they weren't even running pick-and-roll basketball last season because they didn't have the personnel for it. It was about one-on-one basketball with that backcourt. Now I think you have more options, and I think you have no choice but to be more efficient in, 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 on the offensive end. You can run pick and rolls and, and, and just get better looks. I, I, I mean, I just I only see that as an improvement for both sides. Um, again, I think the biggest thing for me is on the defensive end. I, I'm, I'm curious to see how they do defensively. I think you make a good point, though, Lawrence, with Oklahoma City, and, and I, I think it's, it's extremely fair to say someone like, you know, at the point guard position, obviously, Russell Westbrook, you know, him and Darren Williams, you know, seemingly kind of cancel each other out. I think Brooklyn has the advantage at the two spot with Joe Johnson. He's better than any two guard they have now, especially with Kevin Martin gone. Um, Kevin Durant, no argument there. I think Serge Ibaka, that front court situation, I think, is very interesting because I think that's the contrast I'm making 
again, I think offensively, KG and Brooke Lopez, I, I, I just like that pairing offensively. I think they can work well together. Defensively, the front court of Ibaka and Perkins, I think at this point you're looking at it as a, you know, maybe a more reliable option, maybe a more physical option than, you know, Brooke Lopez who's a little more finesse um, and Kevin Garnett who's on the last leg of his career. So, um, but again, it's like, you know, and I, even with Oklahoma City, the Oklahoma City, you know, template, I, the shooting guard uh, slot, you know, Joe Johnson gets the advantage over any shooting guard Oklahoma City has now. And, uh, you know, Kevin Garnett, or Kevin Durant rather and Russell Westbrook, I would take those two over maybe any two-man tandem in the NBA besides Wade and LeBron. But um, it's it's interesting to stack it up that like that, right? Because, you know, uh, at each of those slots, you've kind of got an advantage, but then you've got other teams that kind of do things a little bit better. So I think that's an interesting reference to make with Oklahoma City. I, I think that's a pretty fair comparison. Um, so going on to, to the the next topic real quick, um, Henry Abbott from True Hoop, actually, um, I was reading it yesterday. He did an article about big men in the NBA and kind of how they're becoming a little more scarce and kind of how the the big man scope in the NBA has, has really been changing over the years. Obviously, the template, it's a copycat league uh, with Miami obviously playing that small ball they signed Chris Anderson in the second half of the year, which obviously helped and obviously was very deliberate because of that reason. They knew what their weakness was inside. Um, but essentially, they've won two back-to-back championships by playing small ball. And uh, Henry Abbott from ESPN did a really interesting article, and he got some opinions from different executives in the NBA on the subject. And he started out by uh, sharing uh, – kind of an experience that he had at the NBA draft when Nerland Noel was dropping from what most people thought was going to be a top two pick for him in the draft. And he said he heard an NBA executive sitting near him. Uh, he overheard him saying, um, you know, the kind of guys like Nerland Noel, there's only two ways to get big guys. You get them here, you get them in the draft, like he said there that night, you get them here tonight in the draft, or you have to pay like crazy. And, guys, over the last couple decades, the amount of three-pointers shot has quadrupled in the last couple decades. I mean, uh, outside shooting, three-point shooting has become a coveted aspect. Um, But, Tommy, what do you think about, you know, the NBA big man spectacle? I mean, is it – is it is it evolving? Is it kind of withering away? Uh, the, the big, the kind of bottom line question that Abbott had executives answer on his post was, is it possible that a well-coached, carefully constructed team could do okay in the NBA going the whole season without a real center? Um, I think to an extent, and what some other people have said, uh, said in their response was that, we, I mean, the, the question has essentially been answered because, again, Miami has won back-to-back championships without – a real center. I mean, Chris Bosch is not a real center. I think we can all attest to that. He, by, by nature, he's a power forward, but they use him at center. So, Tommy, is the center position uh, evolving or is it kind of withering away? Yeah, it's uh, definitely withering away. You know, we kind of, I kind of touched on it last week when we were talking about Dwight Howard um, saying how it wasn't, you know, it's not that big. It's, it's, a, it's a big loss for the Lakers, but it's not uh, of any reason to hit the panic button by any stretch because he's not a Shaquille O'Neal. 
the the best center in the league, which you know arguably people say Dwight Howard, a- averages 17 and 12, and those are far off numbers that you know we've seen dominant centers of of years before put up. You know the the 20 and 10s, and you know we we get that from from power forwards nowadays, and you know we. I mean, whether it's a, a lack of developing that post game because, you know, Dwight Howard's not as polished of a, an offensive player, which is uh, which gives reason to, to to for people to to have an argument against him putting Andrew Bynum's name in that in that uh, sentence as the best center in the league when he was healthy. I believe he had a more polished offensive game, but um, you know, it, it's it's something it, it's it's hard for me to grasp because it's not. It's not that we don't have the bigs in today's game because we do have seven-footers that are capable of putting up big points. We've seen Roy Hibbert put up 24-12 and 12 against the Miami Heat in the playoffs uh, last season. But it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's something that offenses, they kind of stray away from. And at the same time, the, the lack of, of a skill set that, that's continuously worked on by these centers in today's game um, is it, it, a detriment to that position. Yeah, it's interesting because um, you know it's it's just I think it's fascinating because the 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 amount of um, the amount of significance the way that we attribute to big men the kind of the coveted big men. I mean, we've seen it throughout. I mean, Greg Oden was drafted ahead of Kevin Durant for that reason. He was a seven footer that you look to develop that's I mean it's just it's kind of it's just like a historical part of not just the NBA but basketball you you need you want good big men um and and I think you're right I think it's it's kind of just started to you know kind of stray away from that notion I I and and I heck go back to the 1984 draft when the best player of all time was drafted at number three the two people drafted ahead of Michael Jordan were Hakeem Olajuwon and Sam Bowie. Now, Hakeem Olajuwon obviously did very well for himself, but, you know, it's just an example. You know, big men are coveted. It's just kind of a way of the world now. Uh, or not now, but just, just in general, in basketball, like I said. Um, but it's just, I think it's really fascinating what we're starting to see. It's, it's becoming more coveted to have skilled players at the four spot, and with Miami's case, with Chris Bosh, even at the five spot, Chris Bosh is a, is a skilled power forward that they're that they're using at center, which helps for their defense because it makes them faster, and and they force the issue because they double the post and they make you throw skip passes, and obviously they've got LeBron just running around, just you know playing the roamer, um, and that's a huge advantage. And not every team has a LeBron James. Obviously, there's only one. Um, but it's very interesting, and, and I'm glad you mentioned Roy Hibbert, Tommy, because and this is a big reason why I, did, I if you remember, I didn't give Indiana not one shot against Miami, even as they forced the game seven. I I, I could I, I didn't even want to watch because when it came down to it, like I said so many times during the NBA playoffs, only talent beats talent, and the Indiana Pacers had the advantage. I think it's, it's the prime example of what we're talking about. The Indiana Pacers had the the prime advantage over Miami where they lack, and that's inside play. But when it came down to it, they never really had a chance because I think now it's come to the point where, listen, if you want to beat Miami now, yeah, you need big men. Like you need you need at least – maybe you need, two, you need two big men that at least know what they're doing. David West and Roy Hibbert, 
you know, Zach Randolph, Mark Gasol, Carlos Boozer, Joaquin Noah, front court tandems that know what they're doing because Miami lacks that kind of physical presence inside. But, and like we just talked about with Brooklyn, you need really talented backcourts too. I mean, it's come to the point where I think you need a perfect roster to beat Miami. You need really good big men, and you need scoring in the backcourt. So, and and I'll go back to Oklahoma City two years ago. I mean, they, they chose to go small. They Scott Brooks kind of abandoned Kendrick Perkins, if you guys remember, in that finals because they wanted to go small against Miami small, and it didn't work out for them. So maybe, you know, I just think, you know, it, it's become this notion where, you know, these super teams, these, you know, with two or three superstars on their team, at this point it's become a notion where I think you need talented backcourts with scoring, and you also need a a highly physical, highly skilled front court tandem. Uh, Jay, what are your, what are your thoughts on, on you know the NBA big man kind of controversy going on? Um, there are no more true centers in the NBA to me. It, mm-hmm. Not not from what we're used to. We're mm-hmm. used to Shaq, Hakeem, Patrick. These are guys that I'm I'm naming guys that I've seen. Like I haven't seen the Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain. I haven't seen them. So I'm naming the guys that I've seen. Um true back to the basket scores. There That's there big. are back no more. Basket. There's there's no more back to the basket scores in the NBA. You Roy Hibbert's oh is getting better. So he might be the one. Brooke Lopez is a decent back to the basket scorer. Neither one of them with the type of skill sets that Hakeem or Patrick or or Shaq had. Um, But back to the basket scores. But who else really? I mean, Dwight has no post moves. Dwight is not a a back-to-the-basket big man who you can just consistently give the ball to and get out of his way. Those days are long over. Like, we haven't seen – and even when he was doing it in Orlando, it it still wasn't as polished as as it should be in my opinion. So, Dwight, no. You know, you have your Blake Griffins. That's what that's what the NBA has turned into. It, it's turned into athletic big men who run the floor and dunk and block shots and, and try to develop some type of face-up game. There's no more bangers. There's no more shacks. There's no more Akeems with, with the physical tools and the actual footwork and I mean the dream shake. Nobody in the NBA now can do a dream shake, <laughs> right? Without it looking, without it looking goofy, without it looking very whack. Like nobody else has that type of. Because I, I think the center position is gone in the NBA. I, I I I mean even in college basketball now it's guard everything's guard oriented. So now even we want our big men to play like guards, which is which is fine, but. I mean, it, 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 the the whole center position is just it, – it's nowhere near the caliber of of what we have seen in the past. No, no way. When was the last time a big man even won an NBA MVP? Like, okay, and Tim Duncan, who's who's the last of a dying breed, realistically, with him and Garnett. Uh, Dirk. Dirk? But Dirk's not a back-to-the-basket guy either. Yeah. <laughs> so like there's there there hasn't been a Shaq, there hasn't been a, a, a Hakeem Olajuwon, there hasn't been one of those guys in a very very long time actually. We've had good fours, we haven't had good fives. 
Um, mm. So it's just the position is, is is dwindling. And that's why I like Brooklyn so much because of Brooke Lopez. And I think I said that as soon as the trade happened. I just thought with those guys coming in, it would be awesome for Brooke Lopez because now he can actually do what he does well. He can just score in the post, rebound, play defense. He doesn't have to worry about taking outside jump shots to spread the floor. He doesn't have to worry about doing any of that other stuff that he was doing last year. He's just going to have to score on the block, and that's where he should be, realistically. So the the position is is no more, in my opinion. We we won't see any of those guys possibly ever again. The game has just evolved, and and that's one of the – the casualties in that evolution, but it doesn't mean basketball is in bad shape. Now we got six, eight guys mm. that are banging inside. We got six, eight guys that are playing on the perimeter, hitting threes, hitting pull-ups, dunking on people. I'm just describing LeBron, but <laughs> that's, that's what our big men have turned into now, which is fine. It's just all part of the evolution of the game, but um, the center position will never be, uh, in my opinion, it'll never go back to where it was or, or even be close. I think we have our best centers of all time already locked in. I don't see anybody down the road coming up and doing it like them. Yeah, that's that's a, that's something I was going to uh, touch on, the fact that, you know, maybe 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 that we're, we're you know, we're way past the, the great centers era. Maybe when we're telling our kids about, you know, the great centers, um, you know, before, you know, in our lifetime, um, we have to go back to even, you know, now we, who knows if there are any centers in today's game that we'll even be mentioning. Um, we'll still be going back to the Patrick Ewings and the, and the Abdul-Jabbar's and, and the Hakeem Olajuwon's. Um, it, I think it makes a really interesting um, dynamic for just how we're watching the NBA kind of evolve now. Um, and, and, you know, some guys, some executives on uh, Henry Abbott's post you know, just talked about the, the whole notion of, you know, the fact that the league is getting more athletic and the fact that, you know, executives and GMs and, you know, they, they want more space on the floor. They want guys that are able to run up and down and, and get to the rim. And, 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 again, it's a highlight issue, too, because, you know, a, a three-point shot is a lot more interesting than, a you know, a grinded-out, ground-and-pound type of game. I mean, case in point, teams want to watch teams like the New York Knicks just run and gun more than they want to watch the Memphis Grizzlies, you know, grind it out on the post and play their possessions down to the second and, you know, play that kind of basketball. So it's certainly kind of an entertainment value that's being placed, I think, on this era of the NBA. Um, Lawrence, you got anything for us for uh, this, this NBA big man discussion? Yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody's points are valid. Uh, we, we we seem to have we seem to be past the era, you know, the golden age of of dominant bigs in the league. And and I mean, I think you make the most important point is it, it's all a part of the evolution of the game. It's it's become a lot less, you know, like slow down half court, find a way to get it inside type, and it's, it's more just run and gun. Just the the biggest and the best athletes are winning and. and I mean, it, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's like a sad thing that I'm that I'm upset about it because I I think the game is is a little bit more exciting, you know. It's it's like a, it's a lot more fast and it, and it's up and down and and not as much of that you know ground and pound game. We still see teams that do that and teams that are relatively successful at doing it. I mean, we saw 
a few a few teams in the playoffs that made runs and they were you know inside first teams whether that's uh, the Chicago or or Memphis you know there I think there are still some quality big men in the league I mean how they stack up against the legends you know the the like Jay said the Patrick Ewings and the Hakeems I mean they don't they don't realistically but there's still some I think there's still some solid inside play I mean if you look at you know, guys like Carlos Boozer that can still play back to the basket, Zach Randolph. Like, you, you got guys that will still get down there and bang. They, I, I feel like they're just not as dominant as, as it once was. I mean, unless you realistically, one of the best is still playing in Tim Duncan. But other than that, yeah, no, I mean, I don't think that these guys are going to realistically stand the test of time when we're talking about the greatest big men. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, I'll kind of end. One of the executives on the post said, obviously, the NBA is a copycat league, and if any, and had any of the other Final Four teams, Indiana, Memphis, or San Antonio, won the title, uh, the discussion would probably veer towards needing a center in order to compete in today's, in today's NBA. Um, and I, I think that makes a strong point, and I think the last, um, if I, you know, memory serves me right, um, the last team to win... Well, Dallas had their true center with Tyson Chandler, and and he did he did for them what maybe most people feel a center should do at this point. I mean, he wasn't their scoring option; he was their set good picks, roll hard to the basket, collect rebounds, and play defense option. Um, and I think that's kind of towards the the role that people are placing on centers now. Um, I think their roles have, are significantly changing. So maybe it's the, the role of the center is slowly evolving before our eyes. Um, real quick before – Tommy, you got something? No, I wasn't. Um, before we go to commercial, real quick, um, I do – I want to get I want to get guys' takes real quick. Um, give me a name and – a few sentences as to why um, we've got a lot of guys coming back from injury next season in the NBA, all the way from Kobe down to Westbrook, Rajon Rondo, even Andrew Bynum, who Mike Brown says will start at center if he's healthy next season in case anybody cares. Um, so a lot Man. of guys, big name guys coming back from injury. Um, Tommy, start us off. Who needs to have the best, the best and biggest return from injury next season? Derek Rose. And I say that because this was the team that people thought really could have could have could have stood in the way of Miami the past two seasons. And this was a former league league MVP, and there was questions about whether he would come back, whether he would not come back, whether he 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 should have came back in the playoffs, whether whether he shouldn't, and. I think that the anticipation for Derrick Rose to come back is, is huge, and I don't think I think he did the right thing by by sitting out the season, getting himself completely 100% healthy, and I, I think it's Derrick Rose. Fair enough. I'm, I I would go with Derrick Rose, and I and, and at many levels, I I really do agree with you, Tommy. But I'm just gonna I'm gonna say Russell Westbrook. Um, mainly, I'm going with Westbrook because of how his team went out last year. I picked Memphis to beat Oklahoma City in the Western Conference semis for that reason because Kevin Durant didn't have his running mate with him. Um, I think Russell Westbrook 
and we've said it on here before, the fact that they, they lost without him, I think his significance kind of got proven in that series. I mean, it was an unfortunate circumstance, but I think now maybe people who really didn't understand the value of Westbrook, you know, people like Skip Bayless who really criticized him to the T, but I think he needs to have a big – I mean, in order for Oklahoma City to really resurge, they lost Kevin Martin – um, you know, in order for them to resurge and come back and look to get back to the Western Conference Finals, I think a 100% Russell Westbrook comeback is com- it's completely predicated on that. Um, Lawrence, who needs to have the biggest comeback next year? Um, I'm going to go with, uh, well, maybe not necessarily the biggest, but I feel like this is an important comeback because this is a team that was already in a position to do some things. But I'm going to go with Danny Granger. I feel like him returning from injury really gives the Pacers, what they needed uh, this past series with the Heat. I mean, one one guy like Danny Granger to, you know, take some of that scoring relief off Paul George and, and, and David West. And a guy that, in his own right, is a solidified scorer, a guy that, you know, was in top five in the NBA in scoring a few years ago when he was actually playing and he was actually healthy. So, I mean, this was the Pacers' go-to guy before they got Paul George. With Paul George coming on as an actual superstar, having another guy like Danny Granger, I think it, it will really benefit the Pacers and really can make them a very, very scary team in the West. I mean, in the East, rather. I'm sorry. Jay, who you got? Who needs to have a big return next year? Man, I hear y'all. <laughs> I hear y'all. I hear all y'all. I hear y'all. This good. That was good. I hear y'all. I hear y'all. But everyone knows what the return is really about. Hashtag Mamba. Hashtag Vino. Hashtag Benatilla. Hashtag Quest for Six. Hashtag Just Do It. All that, son. I ain't even got to say no names. Y'all had to say some names. I ain't even got to say no names. Mamba. Mamba. That's what this season is about. The Mamba. That's it. Yo, Derek Rose, you on freeze. Diddy Granger, you on freeze tonight. <laughs> this, this next NBA season is about the Mamba being back. Period, son. I ain't trying to hear none of that, son. Mamba. I still haven't said his name because I ain't got to say his name. I still haven't said his name because I ain't got to say his name. Mamba. <laughs> so we have the four four important guys and four very important guys for their teams uh, looking to make big comebacks next year. Derek Rose, Russell Westbrook, Danny Granger, and 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 that man Mamba, all looking to make returns from injury. Um, a lot of guys coming back next year. It should be very interesting. Um, Rondo was on that list. Um, I mentioned Andrew Bynum, Tommy's favorite big man. Um, Come on, a lot man. of guys coming back. <laughs> it, it should make for an interesting season. Uh, gentlemen, uh, any final thoughts before we go to commercial? World Andrew Bynum. Uh... Mamba. Nah, World Peace for President. <laughs> All right, on that note, we're going to commercial. We'll be back to talk music. <laughs> 
Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet, now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and a gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cuff shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, know what time it is based on our music blog what we hear dot blogspot dot com that's the portion of our show where our hosts share what they've been listening to what they've been hearing throughout the week um as well as any callers listeners that we have feel free please to call in 213-943-3618 let us know what you're listening to we want to know um i, I think we should just get it cracking, and get it popping real hot off that this week uh right. jay Jay, get, get the people get the people hype off that. Tell them what you've been listening to, please. Bless them. They're coming to ratchet. Huh. All right. All right. So we still going old school, Molly. Oh, all right. We still we still going old school. I was in the wheel, going to work, and for some reason something told me to listen to the radio, which I don't do often. So, um, I turned it to Philly's best R&B station, 100.3, and Anita Baker. Anita Baker was on. Caught up in the rapture of love, son. Ooh! I see, I was going to come on and sing that drink for y'all, son, but I can't (laughs) even touch it. I'm not even touching that one. (laughs) I respect, respect. So I'm not even touching that one. I was gonna come on here and sing some Anita for y'all this morning, but um, <laughs> the the Lord told me not to because that would be disrespectful. <laughs> so just go listen to it and come and and, and holla at us, so Just come listen. Go listen to that record and come holla at us, yo. Because that it doesn't get any better than that, Martin. It doesn't get 
any better in music almost no. than that. That is music. That is actually, actually music. It's, it's everything. It's everything, yo. I, I can't. Just a terrific record. One of the one of the one hundred. In my opinion, it's a it's a A plus. There's not one bad lyric, bad part musically. It's it's so sound. And then Anita, Miss Baker. <laughs> Come on, man. She, it, doesn't, she it doesn't get much better. What's up? She cold. Oh, <laughs> icebox baby, igloo. <laughs> they don't get no cold. They don't get no colder than that. <laughs> so, so I listened to that um, a lot this week, and 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 just to stay on my R and B tip because I because that's what I was on this week. I just got to be honest. I was on that type of stuff. But uh, Music Soul Child's first album uh, popped up. Um, I just want to sing. It was it was his first uh, solo album, uh, a Philly artist. Uh, so I'm out here, and 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 I've, I've my sister is a singer, so she had this this album when it first came out, and I was a young boy, but I knew what he was doing. I knew what was going on, um, and he has a song called "Merry Go Round" that I've been listening to a lot, and. It's just it's it's the same thing, you know. It's like we we won't get this type of R and B that much again. And he was he was toward he's obviously like towards the end of the golden years, but he still represented what the old cats were doing. And he just crushed that record. He crushes that record. So Anita Baker, music soul child, nice and R and B for y'all, nice and smooth, nice and pimping. <laughs> Holla at me. <laughs> Never, never a dull moment um, in what we hear, particularly when we let Jay take over. Um, <laughs> lots, a lot, a lot, a lot of heat though. He just mentioned for for those listening that that Anita Baker, that ain't nothing to mess around with. You better, you better, you better get your Bible and sit down and just rev and just relish in that when when you hear that joint. That that's that's something serious for y'all. Um, Tom, Tom, Tommy, hit us off next. Bless us with what you've been hearing this week, brother. Uh, man, I was down at uh at Bar A, Bar Anticipation, at uh down in Belmar last night. A lot of a lot of house music, a lot of upbeat music, and I gotta say, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of house music. I don't know the artist, so I don't want to get attacked by by the you know the 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 hardcore house music listeners that uh. You know, because I'm a newbie in this in this game, but I gotta find out some of the name of these house songs that I was that I was hearing last night and uh, get back to y'all. But I'm a closet fan of house music. But me, you know, with me, I've still been on that the Gifted and Born Center wave. Um, two tracks from the Gifted, uh, Black Heroes, which is the last song on the album, which has a skit with uh, with Jerry Seinfeld at the end, which is pretty funny. He comes in talking about the next album, album, uh, album about nothing, and Wale telling him that you know get out of the studio, you shouldn't, you know that that's that's the next album, and I mean I think it was pretty cool to to add Jerry Seinfeld to to the album because he was a big part of his his mixtapes, the the um, mixtape about nothing and more about nothing, which were you know two two smash mixtapes from Wale, and uh, from J Cole uh, tr- from Trouble from Born Center. Uh, another another heavy track. I like that track a lot. Um, 
J. Cole Man, J. Cole and Wale. When I when I listen to albums, it takes me a little bit to 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 to, to, to digest the album in itself and it's hard for me to just go on to the next one because when I really, really respect the artist and that, you know, with Wally and J. Cole too, my favorite artist, you know, I just I could just go back and forth for the next couple of weeks. You know, I I'm I'm gonna have to get off that wave soon, but I'm gonna stick it with them. And uh my last track is is from the mixtape I mentioned last week from Joey Badass, uh Summer Night. It's uh a track called Right on Time and it has a it's a sample from you remember uh Tweet? The R and B artist? Yeah. yeah, it's a song she had called Beautiful. And it's a, it's a sample from that, and it, it's it's a very very beautiful sample, and, and Joey Badass rips it, man. So, you know, those are the three tracks that that are uh, those are on my uh, the front of my list this week. Very cool, very cool. Um, sticking with sticking with the Born Center gifted waves. You've been, you've been keeping it consistent the last few weeks, you know. Um, you know, know what I mean? That's what I good. Both both those records you mentioned are, are probably top three or four records for me on both of those albums. So um, definitely definitely good stuff. Um, I'll, I'll go next and let Lawrence conclude. Um, I've got two songs, um, one 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 hip hop, one R and B. Um, I was talking to Jay earlier this week about my frustration with one Rick Ross and um, just his just his lacking. I mean, this has been the first feels like the first summer in a few years where we don't have Ross Banger is just flowing in by the week, um, but that, and it's weird because th- th- this this Rich Gang compilation album, the Birdman Cash Money Young Money compilation CD thing coming out next Tuesday, which I could really care less about, but I saw on the track list there is a song with only Rick Ross on it, which was which I was pretty fascinated by and excited about because I don't need my Rick Ross song be corrupted by a Birdman feature or something like that. But um, uh-huh. it's on the Rich Gang album, but it's only Rick Ross on the song. It's called 50 Plates. And it's just one of those, it, it's what I, it's everything I love about Ross. And maybe not everything. I do like when he actually gets lyrical, Devil in a New Dress, case in point. Um, I've never heard a verse like that from Ross before, but it shows that he can be lyrical. This isn't lyrical Ross. This is trap Ross. And and I love me some trap Ross. Y'all know that. Um, it's it's got that it's got that bounce to it. My little homie's gonna set me straight. Hi hats, trap feel, all that stuff that you want from a trap song. And and I just love the way Ross does trap. It's hype. Um, it's up tempo and it's just Ross just talking real gritty. Nothing substantial lyrically you're taking away from it. This is strictly trap, y'all. Um, I just love I just love when Ross hops in that bag, man. I have a particular affiliation for that, you know what I'm saying? So Rick Ross's 50 Plates, which is going to be on the Rich Gang album, which drops this Tuesday. Again, I could care less about the album as a whole, but I did like that song. I'm taking that song away from it probably only. Um, the other song comes from the Dreams album, which came out just a couple months ago this year. Um, it was called Foreplay. Um, I'm not a huge Dream fan. I've actually been on record saying that I feel like I cheated the Dream by crossing over to the weekend because he's kind of, I guess, the new new wave. He kind of took Dream's style and kind of converted it into something um, a little bit different, but very dreamy. I mean, the Dream has hits. He <laughs> umbrella, uh, uh, <laughs> Nacho Girl. I mean, the list goes on for the kind of the hits that the Dream has. I guess I've been more of a fan of him as a writer and producer than as an actual artist. Um, 
this past foreplay album I thought had a pretty cool vibe throughout. Um, it's very dreamy, but the one song I, I, I kind of enjoy from it is called Holy Love, and it, it's a song, it's a love song. It, it plays to um, the notion of kind of just that holy love, of the kind of love that's, that, that feels kind of majestic and uh, holy, and, and um, I think the, it's well-written. I think the vibe on it is what makes the dream um, successful, um, I like the vocals on it, and I like I like the whole vibe of the song. So I got Rick Ross, Fifty Plates, and The Dream, Holy Love, uh, two songs I've been I've been going back to this week. Um, Lawrence, round it out for us. Conclude our What We Hear segment. What you've been listening to this week, brother? Okay, so um, recently in the news, there's been a uh, this was as of July 19th on on Complex Music. Um, frequent collaborator with Jay Electronica, a production group based out of London called The Bullets. Uh, one of the members of the group has has gone on record to say that Jay Electronica's album is in the last stages of recording. So just hearing all of that, you know, and I mean, we've, we've heard that for some time now. I, I, I honestly feel like Jay Electronica said the album's been done since the beginning of 2012 and we still haven't heard a song, but... Anyway, so that led me to looking up some stuff, and I found this video that actually came out in 2011. I don't know how I missed it, but I did. And um, it's uh, called The Making of Act Two. And in it, uh, Jay Electronica has a lady by the name of Latanya Givens singing a song that I, I would assume is going to be on the album. And I don't know the name of the song. It doesn't even really have a name. It, if you look up, if you're looking for the video, it's just called The Making of Act Two. But this is one of soul, the most soulful ballads I've heard, realistically in the last like that that's come out in the last what ten to twenty years. I mean, it, I, I played I played it for Martin and Jay yesterday, and it is it is church. And the first thing Martin said to me is like, "You don't learn how to sing like that anywhere but church," and and it and it's dead true because I mean, she took it to church and. It's a crazy song. I mean, the the lyrics in it are very good. I'm excited to hear Jay Electronica on it, possibly. So that's one thing I've been listening to a lot. I mean, I, I've just been playing that video kind of over and over again, whether in my head or in actuality. But but you need to, if you haven't heard it or seen the video, you should go watch it because it's very good. Um, the other piece I want to talk about is, is an older album that I got. Uh, very much so reacquainted with this past week. I always get to listen to, to, to music at work, so I always end up coming up with, you know, older stuff that I'm really, like, bumping for the week because I, I try to switch it up as much as humanly possible. But this week I listened to uh, Lupe Fiasco's debut album, Food and Liquor. And, um, I mean, quite frankly, it's one of my favorite hip-hop albums ever, like, realistically ever, and... and I mean, it's so profound. If you want to talk about messages in rap, you want to talk about actually being able to, you know, get a point across, like being a conscious rapper without overdoing it, without like having having a listener feel like you're just preaching at them. You know, it, I mean, he does this with perfect execution. I mean, the the songs on the album are all very good. They're all well thought out songs and. Uh, um, I mean, it's 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 realistically just one of those albums that I could I will be listening to for the rest of my life, and I, I can say that with, with a great deal of confidence. Um, so those are, those are two things I've I've really been hearing. Um, 
But yeah, I, I've been going kind of back to to what I really love about hip hop and its lyricism, and and those are two guys. I mean, obviously the the J Electronica video is is just the girl singing. You don't hear J Electronica rapping at all. But if you know anything about J Electronica, you know you know Exhibit C is one of the better hip hop songs of the last twenty years, and I say that with confidence. I mean, it, it's that good, and this guy's that good that. You know, it's been it's been two and a half years since he's been signed to Jay Z's Rock Nation label and hasn't put out a song of his own in this entire two and a half years, but he still has a following because he's that good. So uh that that that's something that we should be looking out for and, and once it comes out you will definitely hear about it on what we hear from me and I'm sure from from my other co hosts as well that they know that Jay Electronica is the real deal. So yeah, that's that's kind of what's been on my playlist this week. No doubt, good stuff. Um, all the way from Anita Baker to Rick Ross down to Lupe Fiasco. Um, as always, a broad spectrum, a wide spectrum of of listening preferences and experiences from our What We Hear segment. Um, and of course, anyone who wants to call in and weigh in, tell us what they're listening to or weigh into our discussion topic for today. Feel free. Our number is 213-943-3618. And as always, you can find the songs and albums that we make reference to on our show blog, thecollectiveradio.blogspot.com. Now, gentlemen, it's time to move into the main the main event of our show today. Earlier this week, um, I, I, in fact, I think Lawrence is... is personally responsible um, for for officially sparking the debate. Um, Lawrence tweeted uh, earlier this week sometime that uh, uh, that he, that he, when he, I guess, you know, Lawrence taking the time, taking the time to listen to Magna Carta, Holy Grail, and obviously Jesus has been out for close to a month now, and Lawrence expressed his opinion that he, that he enjoys Jesus more than Magna Carta, Holy Grail. Um, and that sparked some discussion, some debate with one of our good friends um, outside of the show, and we had a whole thread on Twitter and eventually led to a four-way text conversation that lasted for um, about 48 hours, um, talking Magna Carta, Holy Grail, talking Jesus. That transitioned into a more uh, a more in-person discussion a couple days ago, um, I talk, talking with Lawrence and Jason and some of our other colleagues um, before we just open the floodgates here, I want to say two things. Number one, I, I don't, I don't. We're doing this for a specific reason because I think it's, it's, and we've said this this week. It's a fun debate to have, and and because it's it's almost it, they almost made it so. I mean, Jay didn't have to let an album go two weeks after Kanye's album. I mean, they're basically asking us to compare them. Um, however. I do not, let me, I repeat, I do not think these albums are comparable necessarily. I think we can debate, which we're about to do, which one, you know, what what each of them brings, why one may, why we feel one may be better than the other. We'll get into all that. But I, I personally, I don't think comparing these albums is even, <laughs> is that warranted, mainly because one, I feel, is more of a rap album than the other. And when you're comparing two albums that aren't of the same genre, it definitely makes it that much more difficult. So I want to say that. Number two, I, I am uh, personally 
um, conflicted and ultimately impartial, particularly when it comes to Jesus, because I, I, I'll, I'll probably end up saying this more than once, but I like Jesus more than Magna Carta Holy Grail only because, and we'll get to the, I think it, it ultimately comes down to preferences and context. And uh, when it comes to my context, where I spend my time, I, I go into New York quite often, and I find that I've, I've been bumping Jesus a lot. I mean, when I go into New York, when I'm looking to just get my get my mind and body ready to just go into all-night partying, I, I feel that Jesus supports that mindset better than anything else. It's not to say that I think it's anything else than something that I like to play before I'm going out. Um, but but I, was, I like Jesus more because I think I, I played more of it over the course of time up to this point. However, um, and again, we will kind of split the pathways here a little bit, but I am in terms of the debate, for the purpose of this debate, I am on the side of Magna Carta Holy Grail. Um, but again, like I said, I'm conflicted when it comes to this debate, and I just wanted to get that out there first. Um, gentlemen, I will open up the discussion for anyone who wants to uh, start us off, um, anyone who feels the need to to start off the debate. I am, although I am curious, actually, because I, I kind of have a sense of where Lawrence and Jason kind of fall on the spectrum. But, Tommy, I do want to get your initial thought um, on which side of the spectrum you think you fall between Magna Carta and Jesus. Uh, well, I'm going to sit back and let y'all to really get into it because I haven't really had a chance to – I've heard the whole Magna Carta album, but I haven't had a chance to really dissect it and, and digest, you know, what, what it really brings. But my initial thoughts, creativity, hands down, Jesus. But like you said, a rap album, which is something more than lines where I prefer because, you know, when I'm listening to Jesus sometimes, there's times when I'm just like, all right, you know, I got to take this out of the CD player. I just can't listen to this right now. But in terms of uh, rap, you know, Jay-Z, the Magna Carta, that, that's more of what, what appeals to uh, someone like me. So that's what, you know, that's what I will, my info would be. But I'm, I'm going to sit back and listen to you all on this one. Yeah, and it's like I said again, I think at the end of this, I feel, you know, we'll kind of, it, it'll boil down, and I think we would all agree, we said this to each other this week, uh, Lawrence and Jay, that, you know, it does really come down to preference. I mean, that, that really comes with anything. I mean, if we were to compare any two albums, any two artists, whatever the case may be, it comes down to personal preference, um, and I think context is also a big part of it, too. Um, but I... Yeah, Tommy, I, the reason why I put myself on the side of Magna Carta is for the simple fact that when it boils down to it, I still like my rappers to rap. And, I, again, yeah. I, I, I love what Kanye does. I, I just I love his attitude. Everything that I love about, loved about Kanye before, except for rapping, I still love about Kanye. Um, but at the end of the day, I still like my rappers to rap. I still consider Kanye West a rapper, and and it's my biggest issue with Kanye's album. Everything else, I'm good on. Everything else, I I, I enjoy. I enjoy listening to to songs. I and it's and it, and it has nothing to do with the rapping because simply put, there really isn't that much of it. Um, and we we kind of touched on that the first week we talked about Jesus when it kind of first came out. We gave out our initial impressions. 
Um, but I, I off that I do give I give Jay more credit because he did what I like my rappers to do, and I think he still does it pretty well. Um, Lawrence and Jay, uh, whichever one of you is ready to weigh in, uh, let's let's get this thing started. Uh, I, I'll start. Um, okay, so two nights ago, we decide that we're going to start listening to some old Kanye. Um, first three or four albums type stuff, and then we got into My Dark Twisted Fantasy. And it's it's almost laughable. It's almost laughable to compare Jesus to any of those albums, in my opinion. We played different songs from, from different albums, all of them, all of them, which, let me, let me, let me see. We already got Lawrence in the background talking, so I'm. A, that's why I decided to go first, so I can shut him down before he starts talking greasy on here. But we listened to Kanye actually rapping, actually saying something. Songs like Roses, songs like Addiction, songs like, we can, I can go down the list actually rapping about something of relevance. Jesus has zero content. It has no content. We don't even know what this album is about. There's no content at all in this album. There's no comparison to him actually rapping. So, to say that a weak Kanye album is better than a new Jay-Z album where he's actually rapping and rapping his ass off on a bunch of them. I just think that's, it, it's preposterous. It, it's ludicrous. I'm getting on my Stephen A. Smith. It is, it is, it is absolutely awful to, to even, to even say that. You can't say that about rap albums. You can't call a rap album with no content and hardly any rapping and say it's better than an album where someone is actually rapping and ODing pretty much the whole thing. Kanye tweeted this morning and said the second verse of New Slaves is the best verse in rap history. That's what he said. In rap history. In the history of hip-hop. It's the best verse on his album. It, it's the best verse on his album because it's the one that he's actually rapping on. He had it, to it fish the only to verse. find a rap verse on that album. You have to fish to find a rap verse on this album from Kanye. And there's only ten songs to make it worse. Yeah, I just yeah, there's no comparison to me as far as rap albums go. Magna Carta is it, there's it's not it's he's not rapping. He's not rapping. He's Kanye is not rapping. On this album, how could you say that it's better than a Jay-Z rap album where he is actually rapping? It doesn't make sense. This album is not even close to any of his of other Kanye works. And that and the other night really made me, after listening to Kanye's old stuff, it really made me hate this album. It really made me hate it. As soon as I was starting to creep up, I listened to some old Kanye and I was, I was disgusted. I could have thrown up, Molly. I could have I could have thrown up after listening to one of Kanye's old songs and listening to anything from Jesus. I was getting nauseous. I was getting hot. I was like, yo, is this is this for real what happened? Is this what we got now from compared to what he was doing then? It's just it's not fair, yo. 
It's not fair, man. I, Jay, but, in in its defense, I, I don't. I I I think, and I I I see what you're I see what you're doing and saying because it it, it speaks to. It all has to do with the standard that we held that we hold Kanye to because of those old great albums. I still I still think it's because listen when it comes down to I think Kanye and I said this at first in fact I think I said it on the follow up show afterwards I well after going back through after the first couple listens of Jesus I think he does do more rapping than we give him credit for I mean he he raps on on site he raps on Black Skin Head. It's, it's unconventional, but he raps. He raps on I Am A God. He raps on Hold My Liquor. He raps on Bound 2. It, 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 for me, it's the content of the raps that bothers me. He's rapping, but what? songs like I'm In It and, I'm, and, and, and Hold My Liquor, he's not rapping about anything <laughs> really substantial. <laughs> he's kind of just talking his mess, which is, which, is, which is cool, which is fine, but New Slaves stands out as the, um, bound to, I think, also. But in terms of the rapping Kanye that we want, the one that's rambunctious, the one that's coming at us with ideas, DEA teams up with the CCA, they're trying to lock things up. Like, that's that's real stuff. Like, that's real stuff. And that's, that, that's the realest stuff that I got in terms of content and messages when I took what I took away from the album. And that's what bothers me. Is that, yeah, like it's said, only yeah, two songs. It's through. only two songs yeah. like that. It's the sifting that bothers you. Yeah. And it's just like, yo, put go back and put roses on this album. <laughs> right, yeah, right, right, right. And the, the, it, and the problem, Jake, that New Slaves and Bound 2 are the only songs of their kind. Yeah, they are. They are. And I'm not, the, New Slaves, he, he smashes everything on New Slaves. I'm not totally, right. totally dragging this album. But when I go back and listen to Kanye West's actually rapping, it's disappointing because we have, he's one of the better rappers, he's one of the only rappers that we have left that we can actually listen to. He's one of the people that can actually still rap. And he's not rapping. That, and that bothers me a lot. I can't help it. I can't help it. Yeah. I'm a hip-hop fan. I like Kanye West rapping. And and we've had non-rapping Kanye West, i.e. 808s and Heartbreaks, and it was terrific. And it changed it changed music for a long time still. And and I get that. But to dare put it to say it say it's better than an album where someone's actually rapping at the caliber of Jay Z, I think you're going a little bit too far with this Yeezus stuff. I think I need, I think most people that are pro Yeezus just need to take it for what it is and not really start comparing it to stuff, yo. I think they should just fall back. Because it's not it's not rapping, he's not rapping. The production is wonderful. It's 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 everything. We we know that it's Kanye West. We get that, like hip hop fans get that, but we're not getting the rapping that we're used to. So like, what are, what 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 are we gonna say? It, it's just it, it's it's just not there for me. It's not there for me because it's lacking any type of lyrical content at all. And he's one of the best rappers, if arguably the best rapper in the game. So, like, what, okay, my bad for wanting some content, I guess. My bad for wanting you to say something worth anything. For real. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I want the one of the, if not the best rapper in the game, to actually rap. My bad, yo. I shouldn't do that. 
I should want him to just throw auto tune on his voice and sing and and be a psycho for most of the time. Like, and I can get with that <laughs> stuff sometimes. I can get with that stuff sometimes, son. But I want to hear you rap, dog. You're you're one of the only people we have left. Yeah, you're one you. of the yeah. only people that we have left. That that that's disappointing. But I I I'm, I'm still a Kanye fan. At the end of the day, I'm still with him. When his next album comes out, I'm still going to get it. I'm still going to listen to it. I'm going to pray that he raps. And if he does, then I'll be a happy guy. But Jesus does, is not anything for me as far as being a Kanye fan. Nothing. It's, it's really not much for me. And so, so Jay, let me make this just, when it comes to Magna Carta, though. Oh, Magna Carta, hands down. Hands down, hands down. It's a rap. It, not not even not even just that it's a rap album and, and someone's rapping. It's not really. It, I'm not saying it in that simple of a content context, but it's it's Jay Z snapping, snapping on a lot of records on that joint. You can say what you want. He's he's snapping on most of those joints, and some of them he does still have. I mean, you could say it's a lot of. It's a lot of money raps and all that stuff, but he he still hits you with a lot, a lot, a lot of content in it. So I'm not gonna even I'm not gonna even talk about much because I don't think it's a I don't for me you know this Martin I don't think it's an argument I think it's Magna Carta easily, easily. I don't think there's an argument there. Jay Z, go back and listen to it, and and tell me Jay Z isn't snapping on most of those joints, and you're 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 bugging, you're bugging. No way. No comparison. Um, yeah, I mean, we got to, we got to, I know Lawrence, Lawrence is going to give us, a, a, you know, the argument, a lot more of the argument for the other side. I'm trying to keep my kind of impartial standing because like I said, when I started, I, I have, I have resonance with both albums and I actually play Jesus more than I do Magna Carta, but for much different reasons than I think it's better. For me, it's all about the context. But Lawrence, give us give us your side of the argument. <laughs> all right. So to to start off here, right? When I say that when I say that Jesus is better than Magna Carta, I am talking about a musical album, a a piece of music, a a piece of art, a piece of work, not a rap album. I'm not saying yo. Jesus is a better rap album than Magna Carta. I've never said that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying musically, Jesus is better than Magna Carta. And I say that because the songs on Jesus are better than the songs on Magna Carta. My biggest beef with Jesus, and I've said this time and time again, is that it's only 10 songs. That does suck. That's unfortunate. I wish it was more than 10 songs. I wish we got at least 12, you know? 12, 13 would have been perfect, but I mean, we got 10, so we got to take what we can get. But I, I feel like I feel like the arguments for Jesus, for for Magna Carta over Jesus, aren't aren't that people you know like think Magna Carta is this fantastic piece of work. It's that people just don't necessarily like Jesus, which is fine. Which is fine, you know. There were people that you know, didn't like 808s and Heartbreaks. There were people that, you know, don't like certain types of music, that don't like stuff when it's necessarily stepped out of the size of the box. But I think this about Jesus. I think that Jesus, I've said this before, I think that Jesus pushes the envelope. I think that Jesus 
is Kanye, you know, stepping outside of what we're used to hearing, stepping outside of what, you know, people are going to expect, which is what Kanye's thing been this whole time, you know? I mean, don't don't get it twisted. My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy would not sound like your prototypical rap album by any means. Yes, there was a lot more rapping content. I'm At no point in time am I ever saying that Yeezus is better than any of Kanye's other albums, because I don't think it is. I mean, I was... It, it may be better than some, but it's nowhere near the best. It's it, it's far from the best to me. I mean, I think it it's maybe floating around that number four position. I, if you're going to talk about Kanye six, you know, but I, I mean, where does Magna Carta stack up against Jay Z's albums? And I'm not even, and I don't even want to really go further into that argument because the argument isn't, you know, how good of a Kanye album is Jesus. You know, it's not about stacking Jesus up against Kanye's other albums. This is about stacking Jesus up against Magna Carta Holy Grail. And I think Magna Carta Holy Grail, to be a hundred percent honest, is 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 insignificant to an extent. I, in in terms of the actual music, in terms of the actual music, I think it's insignificant. I think that like I mean, Jay Z's entire marketing scheme was awesome. Was like uh, the fact that he you know put it out the way he did, put it out when he did, you know, everything around the album was awesome. But when you get down to the actual music, there's, like, what's there that's really significant. There's, I mean, there's a, what, four, is it, what is it, 16-song album. There's realistically five, like, I think, in ter- me personally, I think that there's five or six, you know, really good songs on the album. But at the same time, Jay much like Ye in terms of rapping, is past his prime. You know, Jay's not going to do some weird stuff on a, a song. He's not going to start singing because he's Jay-Z. Like, that's the, 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 his, his nature is not to get on a song and sing. His nature is not to get on a song and try something that he hasn't done before. It, realistically, Magna Carta Holy Grail is not anything groundbreaking. It's not anything innovative. It's not pushing forward whatsoever. It's Jay-Z taking what's popular in terms of rap music, you know, the most popular trap flows, using using beats that, like, sound like a lot of stuff that's already out, you know, and just putting, like, the Jay-Z brand. It's like, it's like taking, like, <laughs> I, I feel like you can compare it to, like, a, a consignment shop, you know, where they get stuff from other people and just resell it with their tags on it, you know, with with their name on it, even though it's still a product that belongs to other people, but they just make their, like, put their spin on it. Like, it's like all of these Android phones that have come out or even the iPhone competing with the Android. It's like, we're going to take what that does best, put our spin on it, and then put it out. That's all it is. It, it, it's resell. <laughs> Recycled material to me. It's, it's not anything content-wise. We want to talk about content. There's not much significant in, in terms of content on Magna Carta Holy Grail. Sure, he has the song Blue that's about his daughter and everything like that. Musically, I don't think it's a good song. Content-wise, it's cool. It's Jay Z vulnerable. It's him opening up. Sure, all of that. But I don't think the, the total package of the song is very good. I don't. I think it's boring. I think a lot of Magna Carta Holy Grail is boring. I, I mean, Tom Ford is is for the club. You know, Tom Ford is for the club. He's not saying anything on it. He's using a flow that he that he 
I guess recycled from from MIA. Like I I I understand. It, it, I guess it's cool to an extent, but it's not. It's it's really not. It's this is Jay Z, a guy who we consider the best rapper ever, and he's using flows from MIA from the from the Paper Planes chick. Like really. <laughs> Really? And we're going to say that that's so freaking great? It's not. It's not. I, I, I understand the arguments against, against Jesus. I totally understand that. We've said it from the beginning. You know, it, it, it's going to shake up everybody. It's going to have everybody saying, like, dang, like, yo, what is this guy Kanye doing? Like, this isn't, this isn't what we expected at all. Like, this is, this is just all so weird and I think just because it sounds different and just because it's weird we write it off as, as bad. Our boy Chavis who's who's gonna be on in a little bit um said to me, he said um when we were when we were having this discussion, he said, um just because it's weird, does that make it cool? I'm like, no, no, it that that's not it. But because it is weird and cool, it is cool. Like it it, it is actually cool. It is actually like very innovative. It's. It, I think that once we start to hear hip hop as a whole, push a little bit. I'm not. I'm not saying that everything that comes out now is going to sound like Jesus. Don't take that as me saying that. But I do think that Jesus is the next step. I think that Jesus is is progression in hip hop. It's. It's this the sound evolving to the next level. Earlier on the show, we talked about you know the role of a big man and how the game itself evolving is taken away from the role of the big man. And I said that that doesn't mean that they're not good big still, but it's just it it, it looks different. It, it doesn't look the same way. The it's the same thing with music. It's evolving, so things aren't going to sound the same way. Like people. People didn't necessarily like 808s and Heartbreaks. There's, I mean, there's still people that aren't fans of 808s and Heartbreaks to this day. But the, but those same people, I guarantee you, are fans of, you know, Drake's So Far Gone, which is, which is explicitly said by both the executive producer, 40, and Drake to be directly influenced by 808s and Heartbreaks. Half of, the, half of the music that came out right after that was directly influenced by 808s and Heartbreaks. You look at guys like Wiz. Like, I mean, people, people really gravitated toward 808s and Heartbreaks and started going for that type of sound because that was the next level. And I think it's the same thing with you. Content-wise, he wasn't rapping. He wasn't rapping the way, the way he used to. And I, and I don't like that either. But at the same time, I'm not looking at this as a rap album. I'm looking at it as a musical piece, you know, that that shifting, that that's that's pushing things forward. And and I mean, that that's not gonna. Everybody's not gonna see that. And and I I totally understand that. But I I think that I have some valid points. And I think that my argument for saying that Jesus is better than Magna Carta, Holy Grail, is not in vain. And I think that a lot of people's counter arguments for it is just bashing Jesus for being so weird and different. And, and it's not necessarily saying, you know, Magna Carta, Holy Grail is, is, is that work because it's not. It's not. Yeah, I wouldn't. I uh, See, that's the thing. I'll, and that's that's where I think, like, here's the thing. I think both of these albums are bottom of the barrel for both of these artists. So, like, for us to even cross over for us to even compare these these pieces of work to anything of the past is is pointless. Um, the, the, 
the big thing, and, and Lawrence kind of snuck into the chat with one of our callers now, and I'm going to wait for him to come back on because I, I need to call out Lawrence because, that, like I said in the beginning, I like Jesus a lot. I listen to Jesus a lot, but for reasons that are that 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 are much much different than what I used to listen to Kanye for before. And I and I gotta call Lawrence. I gotta call you out because you're saying that the. You're like you're kind. Of, I think you're taking the approach that you're saying people are taking the approach for for Jesus. You're kind of, and which is fair. You're talking about the things about Magna Carta that aren't as good as what most people may think it is. And I would agree. I think at best Magna Carta for me is is pretty average. I think it's a pretty good rap album. I think it's a for Jay Z even at 43 years old. I think that's what impresses me also the fact that he's 43 and he can just come in and do these songs that do kind of sound like other things, but when it comes down to it, it does sound better at 43 years old. But, Lawrence, I got to call, like, son, you, I don't think content can be any part of your argument. Like, even with Magna Carta not being, like, groundbreaking content-wise, son, hold my, you don't even like hold my liquor. You don't. There are things you don't like about Jesus for certain reasons. I mean, I'm not, like I said, Jesus is not my favorite Yay album. I don't think it's a perfect album. You know, I'm not out here saying it's a 10 out of 10 and, and like, there's, and there's no, nothing not wrong with Jesus. And no not that either. But you're saying that like better. That's, that's, I am saying that I, I give Magna Carta more credit for doing, for, 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 for doing what everyone I just else give it more doing? credit. For doing no, what everyone else I don't is think, doing. No, for doing what everyone else is doing and better. Son, S with me, you know I got it. That, son, that song is better. Like, son, that's not what every. It may be what everyone else is trying to do, but I don't hear any other songs like S with me, you know I got it. I hear you. Everyone doesn't have the resources Jay-Z has either. Like, everyone doesn't have, you know, Pharrell, Timberland, Rick Rubin, like, all of those guys on speed dial to, to be able to put together some stuff like that. Like, I mean, I, mean, I agree. Jay does. Jay has a super team of producers, but, I mean, he's at the, he's at the helm of that, and he's at the, at the head of this creative process. You know, like, the, the creativity within the album of Jesus is unmatched so much. Like it's 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 I, I don't even I I really don't know because I I honestly do just feel like Magna Carta Holy Grail is boring. Is a boring album. But see creative creative but here's the thing. I give creative a lot of credit. Like I think creative is like but does create like you're saying like does the fact that he you're saying that the fact that Jay Z do is doing what other people are kind of doing, but just a little, what I think is a little bit better. Does that make it better than Jesus? Well, does the fact that Jesus is create? There's a lot of creative music out there. Like I can uh, Travis Scott's last EP was creative to me. Don't do that. Does creativity? <laughs> son, it Don't was creative. It was a creative yeah, yeah. project. I mean, yeah. musically, there's it was cre- creative. There's creative good though, and there's creative eh. And we know that Jesus is creative good. We, like, yeah, but I, I don't Travis Scott creative ass. I, Travis, give, Travis, think... I give Al Farrell a, crea- a substantial creative stamp. I give that, I, I label that as creative. And that's just one example. There are other people doing creative stuff. Like, I don't think anybody is even arguing the creativity. In fact, I think that's the one thing that 
that is hard to even argue against with Yeezus is I the creativity. You. But I hear is you, it bro. So I hear you, bro. That it's that much better. Yo, son, in the wise words of Sir Meek Mills, there's levels to this shit. <laughs> there is. There is. Like, sure, there's tons of people doing creative things and stepping outside of the box, but there's levels to this. We know that, like, when when Kanye steps outside of the box and is creative, it's not the same thing as Travis Scott stepping outside the box and being creative. It's not the same thing as freaking ASAP Ferg doing some different stuff. Like we like it's it's not the same thing. Like we know the type of, of the the type of effect. Kanye has a hold on culture. Like he understands this stuff. He understands what 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 is what the direction this stuff is going into. I'm not saying he's a psychic. I'm not saying he's superhuman. But he's been able to predict trends for some time now. The, the stuff that came, the, the, the good rap music that came out after My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy had elements of My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy in there. We, we can't say that it doesn't. Magna Carta Holy Grail even has elements of Jesus in it. Like already, already there's elements yeah, of Jesus sprinkled on yeah, Jay-Z's album. Like, like, I mean that—that's where the significance comes in, and and if if Jesus is influencing, you know, this stuff that we're about to get into, there's no way that we can say the stuff that we're about to get into, even Magna Carta, Holy Grail being lumped in there, is better than like you know what it's being modeled after to an extent. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're bringing in our caller now. We've got Chavis on the line with us. Chavis, what's up, bro? What's going on, Molly? Not much. Good hey, to have you on the show, up, man. Glad you called in. I appreciate it. Thank you all for having me. Of course. I like the points. Let me give a quick disclaimer. Our our, our friend Chavis here is, is the king of the one-liners. So... So know that you're gonna you're gonna get a whole lot of that in in, in this upcoming uh, debate. And, and Chavis is also as hard headed as Martin and Jason are. What's <laughs> up, Jay? Jay, what's up, man? Budge, and he won't budge. So so keep that in mind. Who? All right, I, I don't have any one liners prepared for you gentlemen today, but uh, you know, I like your, uh, the points you present and everything. And I, and I see that uh, what you're saying about Jesus is a uh, pretty much the same thing, or the contrast what I say about Jay's album and Jay's whole career, and that's why I'm a big fan of his. You like Kanye stuff because he's different, and I like Jay because he's consistent. You know, does that make sense? Mm. Mm. Yeah. I, so, I, I see so, that. Yeah, so the reason, you you know, that, that's really cool that Kanye is so different. It changes things in hip-hop and culture and the things we love, and I look at Jay as, as an athlete. You know, he's uh, transcended different decades of artists, and he's still consistent putting out quality music. You know what I mean? Like, you guys know I'm a huge Kobe fan and everything, and uh, I'd say Kobe was in, you know, he played against Karl Malone and, and, and Charles Barkley when he first got to the league. He outlasted his class of 96 with Steve Nash and Iverson and things like that, and now he's competing against Brian and Mello and even Kyrie. You know what I mean? Like, he's transcended uh, different decades and different generations as an athlete, and I feel Jay-Z is doing the same thing where you have, like, Biggie, Nas, and Snoop and people like that were his peers, and now all the way down he has Kendrick Lamar and Drake as his peers. You know what I mean? Like, he, he's very consistent. And then that's the thing I like about it. Magna Carta, I'm not saying it's groundbreaking, but that happens to be my favorite album of the year. And I think it's a million 
No, I mean a billion. No, I want a trillion times better than Yeezus. Man. I think it's just that. <laughs> I think it's that much better than Yeezus. Man. I, I was very disappointed in Yeezus. And uh, under under no circumstances am I saying uh, I I hate Kanye for Yeezus. I'm a huge Kanye fan, man. My closet reflects it. You know, I, I love Kanye. You know, but Yeezus really let me down. It's, it's not for me, nor do I think it's it's. I don't think it's groundbreaking either. So, no. Chavis, is it fair to is it fair to say that a big part of your feelings about Yeezus boil down to the fact that you still like your rappers to rap? Because that's that's what I think I'm boiling to get down to for me. Uh, I'd uh, I'd say it is fair to say that absolutely because uh, like, uh, everything comes down to preference. And you guys know I like bars, I like lyrics, I like the one liners, I like the like Drake, quick too. wit. Hey man, this is not about Jersey. We can get that a little bit. We can get that. Drake got bars still. Drake got Drake got bars. You can't. You but, uh, can't. I, I hear you. I hear you. But if you like your if you like your rappers to rap, then I, I don't I don't know what you did with Take Care. You must have thrown that out. Did Drake not rap on headlines? Name name. Did he not rap on, look, on 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 Lord knows? You look all right. All right he, that's two. That's two. He didn't, he didn't <laughs> rap on underground games. All right, three. He didn't rap on "We'll Be Fine," made me proud. He even rapped yeah. on "Take a Shot for Me." He put a verse on there. You know, oh, sure don't do that! Don't do that! That was an R and B. That was an R and B album. You talk about yeah, that's why every song sounded like Drake. That was an R and B album. That was an R and B album. Every song sounded like Drake featuring Drake. That was that was that was an R and B song by Drake featuring the rap verse by Drake. <laughs> Yeah, but he's a rapper, though, isn't he? Are we are we talking about we want our rappers to rap? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, but uh, I never said I don't want. Uh, let me see how can I say this. I don't have a problem with the singing. You know, there's there's some Drake singing stuff and songs that I don't like. I know, I know. I say I've never heard a bad Drake song, just like I've never seen a bad Kobe shot. You know, but uh, <laughs> I, I I have no problem with the singing and stuff. Like I, I had that. Lawrence is right. I had that same feel when 808s came out. And back then, I definitely, definitely didn't want to hear any singing. You know, all I wanted to hear was bars. <laughs> and and now that I hear Jesus, I love 808s. You know, like I just, I, I just, I don't have a problem with the, I don't have a problem with the singing. I just, I like, uh, I just like to hear more content, more bars and stuff. I even stopped messing with my boy Wayne because of uh, because he doesn't have anything to say anymore. You know, Wayne Ben ain't have nothing to say. Don't do that. Exactly. I well, yeah, and and but I think Wayne is a good is a good person to bring up though, guys, because like in terms of his lyrics, anybody with ears can recognize that Wayne doesn't talk about anything anymore. But but however, um, we're saying you know we're saying a, a lot of us can attest to the fact that the the lyrical content of Jesus is probably one of its uh, weakest points. However. You know, Wayne can't make a song like Black Skinheads. I mean, he tries to make rock songs, but they don't sound as good as that. Um, and, and Wayne can't adjust and do something different than what people are doing. You know, like, I guess I definitely, I think Wayne's a good example because Wayne yeah. is similar to Kanye Chavis in the fact that, you know, he's he's kind of been, he's been around uh, just as long, you know, as, as a Kanye, you know? So, like, if you're going to, you know, like, kind of like the Kobe, uh, maybe Kobe Tim Duncan aspect, if I just off the top of my head, you know, two veterans. Yeah, and yeah. Wayne, Wayne is at that veteran status, and he's and he's stale. He's really stale. But Kanye... Yeah, he's stale. I, I don't think Kanye is... I don't think stale is the word for it. I don't, because no, I, think, because so I there... think musically... 
musically it's still challenging. See, are there yeah. any verses on Magna Carta Holy Grail that you think are better than Kanye's uh, second verse on New Slave? Absolutely. I actually took some notes. You want me to pull them up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me one. Give me one. I, I actually, uh, I, I relive to Jesus again. I told you I listened earlier today. And uh, that second verse on New Slave, I do like it a little bit better. But it is no way the best rap verse ever. It's far from it. It's far from it. Yeah, I mean, we know Kanye's delusional. We know that. We we understand. I I think Kanye fans know that that him as outside of outside of the booth and outside of the studio is 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 suspect a lot of the time. (laughs) A lot of the time. At the same time, there's no verse on Magna Carta better than better than the second verse on New Slaves on uh, on you. I like. I I personally think the verse. Picasso Baby is the last verse on there. I think just the getting into the Foxy Brown stuff and then the, the double entendre of Hugh Blow, Hugh Blow, I'm still the man to watch. And then Hugh Blow on my left hand or not, he'll talk about the, his watching and stuff. Like, I thought that was super tough and better than the bars on uh, on uh, that second verse of New Slave. On New Slave? <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh, Picasso Baby got him on and that. Look, and, Lawrence, and Lawrence, if you, how about we just talk about – you talk about one verse. How about we talk about any? How about the verse on guilt trip? Is the verse on guilt trip better than any verse on Magna Carta? Say that one more no. time. I'm sorry, you were Hello, me. is the verse on hold my liquor better than any verse on Magna Carta? Well, we're. I, I mean, we're. Let's, let's talk about the best here. He doesn't even rap. He doesn't even go back to that. Where, where is there rapping on hold my liquor? There's no rapping on hold my liquor. That's why that joke left. Yeah, Kanye has a verse on that, son. Yeah, well, see, 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 we're see. talking about the best. <laughs> I'm talking about the best. I'm talking about the, the the best rap verse on Jesus. Even though we want to say, you know, there's no content. I mean, I think that there's way more content in New Slave in terms of actually trying to get a message across. In terms of actually, you know, saying something that should resonate with people than anything on Magna Carta Holy Grail. We like. I mean, realistically, that that, it, it has to be true. We know Jay-Z's wife is Beyonce. We know she's bad. We know Jay-Z got mad bread. We know he's, he's got Robinson Cano and Kevin Durant now. Like, like tell us something we don't know. It, it, That's it, nice it felt like saying at the end of Magna Carta, Holy Grail. And at the end of Jesus, I was like, I was confused, sure. After my first ten times hearing it, I was just like, what in the world is going on? But at the same time... I mean, I I, I still I, I'm gonna sit on the side to where I'm saying that if you if you say that Magna Carta Holy Grail is better than Jesus, then you just weren't ready for Jesus. And and that's my opinion. It may be wrong, but to me it's not. It it may Maybe. be like there may be an objective. There may be a way to come to an objective conclusion to say you know what. L is wrong. Like Magna Carta, Holy Grail is better than Jesus, but I I don't think it's true at all. I think that I think that the the, the forward the, the the progression behind Jesus. I, I I hear Chavis with the consistency, but at the same time, we like what's consistency without evolution? Like if you're consistently do like I mean if Jay Z's where, where was Jay Z's consistency on Blueprint Three? Like there was no consistency there. Like, come on. Like, maybe maybe Magna Carta Holy Grail is more consistent with Blueprint Three. It's more consistent <laughs> with Kingdom Come. Like, Damn. 
I mean, realistically, what are we saying here? What are we, like he's not even rapping better on Magna Carta Holy Grail than he was on Watch the Throne. And yeah, Watch the Throne was lopsided because Ye was on it too, and and the two of them together, you know, bouncing ideas off of each other and and working as a uh, as a as a collective. But at the same time. I mean, Magna Carta, Holy Grail, Jay-Z has all the resources to get anybody he wants to be able to do, you know, some significant thing. And, and I, I don't think that he that, that panned out. Like, if you can call it, no one is going to say Jesus is boring. As much as Chavis dislikes Jesus, he's not going to say it's boring. Magna Carta, Holy Grail gets boring. It does. I disagree. I just, like, I, just, I, 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 I know my mic was on. All right, this, this is the thing I wrote down. This is the thing I had. Uh, you said consistent. What's consistency without evolution? Okay, but with being uh, groundbreaking or or innovative and stuff, things like things like that. If it's not hot, that doesn't make you. That, that, how, how does that help you? Just because it's different and, and, and strange or or something doesn't make it hot. The thing like when we talk about Wayne or something like that, it's just. I usually I still have a huge Wayne fan, but you know I had to put him in the dungeon because he's not popping. You know, put him in the dungeon until he gets his bars back up. And uh, I think when he released that rock album, he didn't even have a chance. Like, okay, yeah, it, it was weak, but he didn't even have a chance. No one gave him a chance. There were some songs in there was pretty good because his yay is automatically hailed as let's give it a listen. It is automatically he's gonna have some bangers on there, and there's nothing on there that's hot besides uh, put on the leads. <laughs> I, I can wait with that. New slave is all right. Oh God! No. I, I I just I just can't I I can't I can't give him credit for that. You, you tell me four songs, four different songs are better than all sixteen of the songs on Magna Carta, all all, all four, verses. Now we're down to four. four. Yeah, four. I think the high uh, points on Jesus are much higher than the high no, points on Magna Carta. No, we, we, can't, we can't. I I really can't get down with that. I I just can't. I and mean, then you you're saying like it's a uh, more consistent and more more concise than American uh, not American Kingdom Come and uh. And Blueprint Three and things like that. Like I, I, I just don't see it. I don't. I don't see how the high points are used. I, I still think uh, I'm still on the verses thing. I, I'm still on the verses on uh, FUTW. I think that verse, all three of those verses, were better than uh, New Slaves. That part of when he's just addressing the nest, the one point one percent of a billion more than cats ever seen. Yeah, I guess the everyday yeah. thing. Like, I think that that was that, that was relevant too. But that's something that's you know in the news and in the media about his, his funds and stuff. So I thought that was a uh, uh, issue that he had in his life or whatever that he addressed, and I thought he did it very well. And that's not his thing, you know. That's, uh, his thing isn't. Uh, let me just say something and you know spit in the faces of uh, I don't know what white America or and things like that. And let me do something different. Let me just not give you an album cover. Let me not promote a single. Let me just do. Let me go against everything that you guys stand for. That's Kanye's job. That's his thing, and he does that consistently, right? I hear what, you, man. What, what does Jay do? Jay, Jay starts. He does, he does that that, uh, that that fly boy talk. That's stuff I like. And then he <laughs> had to switch it up by opening up about his dad and his daughter and stuff. That's his thing. We can't fault him because he's not rapping like Kanye, or because his, that's not that's not the thing that he does. Because he's not. I guess, I'm not saying that it's a fault. I'm talking about the song. Yeah, I won't say fault. I won't say fault. You 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 knock him, or your 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 argument against him is that he's just does the same thing over and over again, which I call consistency. And you're you praise Ye for doing something different. Well, no, That's he what doesn't he does. necessarily do the same things over and over again because uh, there were points in time where he was as groundbreaking as anybody else has been. And, and, and there came a point in time 
where that was over. You know, that that was no more. It was it was it was recyclable material to me. I I can kind of kind of kind of uh, see where you're coming from with that. Uh, yeah, for example, you can only kind of Chavis is no, like no, like Magna Carta Holy Grail stacks up against any Jay Z album pre Black album. I think no. it's better than uh, well, I think it's better than Rock La Familia. That's a little compilation that's, album. That was like, you know, that's like I, saying I, Cruel Summer's a, a Kanye album. Don't do that. I, I say it's better than I personally like it better than uh, let me see Volume Two. Lawrence. Lawrence, would you take Magna Carta over Blueprint 3? Yeah, that, yeah, you're going to Chavis. Yo, get him off the line, Molly. Yo, get him off All the right, line. All right, we, we, Chavis gave us one of his bold statements, and, we, and we're running out of time, so unfortunately we had, we had to cut him off. I'm sorry, Chavis. Um, <laughs> but we've got like 30 seconds left here. Lawrence, real quick, though, would you take Magna Carta over Blueprint 3? Over Blueprint 3? Sure. Sure, over Blueprint 3 is a lot more relevant. I think I've gone on record to say that I think Blueprint 3 came out at a really awkward time in hip-hop, and he was attempting to try to, you know, predict the trend of where things were going, and he just failed. And, and I mean, Magna Carta Holy Grail is a little bit more on spot with, you know, what is actually going on in hip-hop right now and, and, and what's relevant. So so yeah, I, w- I would give it the nod over that, but not very many more Jay Z albums, especially not Value Two. You gotta be kidding me! Hard Knock Life, what? Yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't, I, I didn't know about that one either. <laughs> I didn't know about that one either. Um, with a spirited debate, though, um, we have to wrap up for the day. We're out of time, um, but a spirited debate. Uh, like yeah, I said, we're beginning one that's too. hard to do. Shout out to Chavis for calling in. We apologize for taking you off. Appreciate that, big homie. We just ran out of time, but it's always a pleasure. Hopefully, we'll we'll do a little bit more uh, debating segments and whatnot in the coming weeks, and I'm sure Chavis will want to weigh in because uh, we're going to get back to his boy Drizzy and do some cool stuff. Uh, debating, putting putting albums against each other. We're gonna we're gonna keep this trend going. But um, yeah, shout out to Chavis for calling in and all of our listeners who listened in. Um, thank you. Uh, we just finished up our debate. Uh, we'll be back next week, same time, talking the same kind of stuff. Uh, this is the collective signing off for the afternoon. Three hundred. On behalf of the Keys 107, we thank you for tuning in to The Collective. Check us out at Blogspot, our show blog, The Collective Radio, our basketball blog, Basketball Feed, our music blog, What We Hear, and our TV and movie blog, Television Cinema. Follow us on Twitter at Collective underscore BTR, as well as Instagram, and join our Facebook group, The Collective. And as always, tune in every Saturday with us between 1 and 3 p.m. Eastern Time where young hosts come together to discuss and critique topics in sports, music, television, and film. Now let the beat rock out.